When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome, welcome back to Studio Secrets A to Z. I'm your host, Anthony J. Resta, and today we have a dear friend, a multi-platinum songwriter, um, producer, musician extraordinaire, our dearest friend here in Los Angeles, one of them, Krista Youngs. Welcome, Krista. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I'm so excited. We um, are so proud of you. You know, 10 years ago or more, we worked together in Boston, and you were just a kid, kind of, and... You know, you moved out here and you worked hard and you're a perfect example of what can happen when you're, you know, diligent and you just don't give up and you just keep going and going and you're an inspiration to everybody. And that's kind of why I brought you on the podcast to inspire all the young songwriters coming up. So um, I'm going to start off with just telling, tell us a little bit about your musical journey in general. What inspired you to become a songwriter and at what age did you know that's what you wanted to do? I think I always knew that's what I wanted to do. And I started playing piano when I was four, and I loved music, and it was between dance class and piano class, and I, I picked piano. And and then I wanted to take voice lessons because I wanted to sing, and and then I was 13, I started taking voice lessons, and then I just, I grew up in Michigan, and I wanted to get out of Grand Blank, Michigan. Like, I wanted to graduate high school and leave. And so then I went to Berkeley College of Music okay. in Boston um, and started that whole journey, and it just opened everything up, and I didn't realize that... You could actually work in music and make money and do all of those things. So I went to school for business and graduated. Um, met a producer there that you know, Jan Perchuk, and he yeah. started producing my first project and released that and stayed in Boston for a couple more years. I was in a wedding band and a cover band, and then I was like, I can't die in Boston. So moved to Nashville, spent a year and a half there, um, learned a lot. Uh, that was when I really first started co-writing 
I was doing, you know, a couple sessions a day, playing writer's rounds, which I was terrified of doing because I'd never really played myself and sang before. Yeah. Um, but my friend Russell Sirota, who's a Grammy-winning piano player, was like, you know, it's going to be scary the first time. It's going to be scary the 10th time. And then after 100 times, it's not going to be as scary. And so I was like, okay. And I did it. <laughs> and, and then I left because I was like, Nashville's just not for me. So I moved to L.A. 10 years ago. I think it's 11 years now. Um, and it was the easiest transition, and it just felt right. Like, I remember driving into the city and and feeling like it was home. I did not have the same experience. <laughs> when, I, when I moved here, uh, I wanted to have an accidental drowning for about five years. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was different for me because I had that Berkeley network. Sure. Yeah. And so my mentor, David Quinones, who had this company called um, The Writing Camp with Evan Bogart and Erica Nori, took me under his wing the first week I was in L.A. And I just started putting me in sessions and encouraging me, and I met so many people through him, and so I felt really productive. I was broke, but I felt really productive. That's incredible. So what do you feel like you might have learned in Nashville that you didn't learn at Berkeley? It's just a crazy, curious question. I think Nashville is, you know, really known for crafting well-sung lyrics. Like, it's all lyrical, you know? Stories. Yeah, And I learned a lot about that. I learned a lot about people, writing with other people, um, how to be in a session. Um, And then I think the difference between Nashville and L.A. was in Nashville, you know, we would just have our phones and record a demo on our phone. And that would be that. I see. And then L.A., I was like, you know, especially with all the sessions with DQ, you'd have the track pulled up. Like I hadn't really written to a lot of tracks. So you'd have the track pulled up. You'd be like, just go into the the vocal booth and... um, riff and I was like what (laughs) like you want me to just sing whatever that was so scary for me for for a melody idea yeah it was terrifying for me because I didn't know like yeah I wasn't used to that um and now it's whatever yeah you know so well we just had a session together um our first in a a long time with our artist Mikhail that we're working with and uh I saw you work and it was kind of beyond like comprehension for me because um, you're so instant, you're so enthusiastic, and you have such a high level of quality control. Watching you work, I could see the 10 years. Like in that, it, it, Within 15 minutes, or no, within five minutes, I'm like, oh my God. So you really, that's why I wanted to get you on the podcast to explain to people, you know, developing this kind of level of craft, it's hard work. And I know you spent years, and I mean, how many writing sessions do you think you had in your first three years in Los Angeles? sake oh my god i mean daily you know it was pretty much daily i would say at least like 800 yeah i mean you're gonna learn and you're being surrounded with what's your favorite like um sort of configuration for writing do you like writing with one person two person three person five persons i know you do all different uh types of sessions you know it's really interesting because i've done all of the different types of sessions for me when there's a lot of people in a room i tend to feel like i can't think so I'll walk outside and be alone and yep. write something in my head, write it down, take, you know, do a voice memo, come back in. I think it's sometimes it's a lot easier for me to write alone. Sure. Because I can hear myself. Yeah. So when I'm in a big room with a lot of people, I can't hear myself yep. and I get distracted. It's like having ADHD, but not, you know. Sure. <clears throat> so I don't know. I've done a lot of solo writing. I've done a lot of writing with one other person. Um it just depends. Like if I have a producer in the room and then another co-writer, that's cool. But again, like, you know, writing sessions are like sex. Like sometimes it's great. Sometimes it sucks. 
you know? That's funny. You, you don't want to repeat it sometimes. You're like, well, oh, that was good for one night, I guess, but I don't want to do it again. <laughs> right. Sure. You know, I, I in the, the situation where we were working together, it really helped a blockage that because I was working with one other writer and then having the third writers, it's great. It seems like in Nashville, they do a lot of thirds too, you know, the whole change of word, get a third thing. Yep. Um, it just really seems to be good uh, to, to balance out. Like when there's a block, there's one person that can go, well, wait a minute. What about this? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's just, it kind of, it, it seems like a good number for me. I mean, I've done quite a few sessions with three people and I had a, a lot of luck with that. Well, so. sometimes I feel like, especially when you're with an artist and then, you know, if I have an idea, then if there's a third person there that can back me up on it, it makes the artist feel more confident exactly. in that decision. Yeah. Yeah. That worked really well. I mean, I'm so thrilled with it and I can't wait to share it with everybody. But um, let's get back to your, your journey. Um, could you share some insights into the development of your process, say, now versus like when you first got here? Like I was seeing you work. I've seen how fast do you trust your gut instinct more now than before? What is it that's different you know, 10 years later than like when you were just doing 800 sessions in a year? I think now I'm just really comfortable making mistakes, you know, like yep. before I was terrified to say something if I thought it was stupid or if I thought it was going to be embarrassing or not a good idea. And now I'm, I don't care. That's smart. Um, and then I also do trust myself a lot more. Like if I hear a melody in my head, I usually go with the first melody I hear. Because And that's why, you know, normally if I go into a session and a producer starts playing a track and let's say the artist isn't there yet, I'll have to leave the room because I don't want to hear it until I'm ready to work. Because then it just gets stale. Sure. And a lot of times that's the, the same thing with vocal takes. I notice a lot of times the first couple of takes with uh, with good singers tend to, tend to overshadow everything else. And people don't realize that there's magic and they want to just keep refining and refining. But in that re refining, sometimes you lose the feeling, the feeling. Yeah. 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 That happens to me a lot. Like even a session I had a couple weeks ago and I, I did this rough vocal at the studio and then I went back home and I was like, oh, I'll just recut everything. And I listened back to it and I was like, the version I just cut has one tenth of the emotion that the first vocal had. So let's just use that first vocal and add the backgrounds in. That's that happens a lot, and I think I think it's sometimes I find like artists have trouble um, identifying the magic because they're so self-critical. They are they're the, they they always feel like, oh, I got a better one in me. I got a better one in me, and that can go on for hours, you know. And sometimes that's that's why you want to trust someone like yourself and someone like myself, like you know people that are, that have done this for. Years, years decades. and years, and, yeah, and and I I find that oftentimes it really comes down to trusting your your gut instinct. That's that's how I feel, and um, just magical stuff. Um, let's talk about some of the the your favorite projects that you've worked on over the years. I know there's so many. I, where would we begin? Do you want to do it chronologically or? <laughs> no, I mean like you know? I I started off as an artist. Yeah, and I'm still an artist, and yeah. I really enjoy. I just released a song called "You in New York" that I wrote about my boyfriend. Um, before he was my boyfriend. And it's probably one of my favorite songs I've ever written. And just the journey of, you know, going to New York, hanging out with him. And then I was on a writing trip. So I flew from New York to Nashville and I sat down with my friend Sinclair and we wrote this song in like 20 minutes because I had to get it out. I had to get it out. It's a blurry dream. Fucking beautiful, right? 
experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. it in your head already or did you have stuff written down or it just came out i had a couple things in my head i had the, the title <clears throat> you in new york and i had some ideas and we just flushed it out in 20 minutes and it's like taking a big dump you know you feel so much better after you do it and then just watching <laughs> the process of thinking the thought and then watching the music video like it's the journey between the two it's like amazing what our minds can do you know wow that's really cool as an early, you know, writer, 
Can you tell me a little bit about some of the the people that inspired you? Like, what who are some of your heroes from, say, when you first started out versus now? Let's go back a little bit and like, so when you first started writing songs and you were not when you were four, but when you were like when I started with you in what two thousand eight around there. What were you listening to back then? Like, who were some of your real classic songwriters that really inspired you at that age where you're, you know, going through like the the whole thing? I don't, I can't find the right words. No, it's interesting because I, you know, my formative years. That's like, what I was trying to say. <laughs> I loved listening to Tupac. Okay. Like, I love Tupac. Wow. And I loved hip hop. And I also loved, you know, the classics like Fleetwood Mac. Um, so I listened to a lot of Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks and... Top 40 radio. Love Top 40 radio. Always listen to that. My parents had that on all the time. Um, and then like Rage Against the Machine yeah. and Nirvana and, you know, No Doubt. So it's like this eclectic mix of, of people. And it wasn't really one particular genre. I just loved the way that those particular songs made me feel. I love that about you. And it's hard to pigeonhole you. You know, You always have amazing hooks and melodies and stuff, but it's like you can't really say... You just do this thing, you know, like your song Habit is one of my favorites. Thank you.
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. was written by co-written by the same girl woman that wrote habit so it was me and sinclair writing both of those songs and they just happened to be both again my favorite two songs that i think i've ever written oh wow that's interesting that i i caught that we didn't talk about this in advance (laughs) so i love that and i also really love an artist named netta okay love netta she's from israel we've become very good friends over the years i wrote one of her singles cuckoo um i have another song coming out on her next album and she's just such an interesting, eclectic personality. And she's the kind of person that can walk down the streets of New York and literally part the crowd. And I just really enjoy working with her because she has a strong sense of who she is and what she wants. And she's, we have the same taste in like clothes and I don't know, that's, fashion. That's and, so cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So in your process with her, do you guys come to like a session with a title in mind or do you just, or is, is that song title often a, a place for you to start or, or not necessarily? Not necessarily. And I think that my writing style has changed drastically over the years because of K-pop. Yep. Um, I used to have to write a song from the beginning to the end. And then I was like, I moved into, you know, let's start with a hook. And now, since, you know, seven years later of, of doing K-pop, I don't care where I start. Yeah. Because lyrics don't really matter that much yeah. when you're writing K-pop. They're going to translate it anyway, right? right? So I stopped overthinking things so much wow. and just started putting melodies down and then putting lyrics in and then just kind of, it, it's like a puzzle to me. Almost like a quilt. Like yes. A, like patchwork. Exactly. But then somehow at the end, it all makes sense. Yeah. That's, that's super cool. Yeah. Love that. Well, since we got on the topic of K-pop, um, let's let's start. Where did that begin for you, and how did you get to be a real world class writer in that genre? 
Honestly, by accident, I was talking to a friend of mine, Melanie Fontana, who also has done great things in the K-pop world and beyond. And she was like, Krista, you know, if you want to if you want to make money, you should do K-pop. And I was like, really? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> this was like such a long time ago. And she linked me up with one of her friends. And he, that ended up being my first K-pop single. And then I got in, in touch with my sub-publisher in Korea, Fuji Pacific. And they invited me to Korea. I went to Korea. I was terrified. I was like so scared of flying to Korea. Like oh I'm talking, I knew I was going to Korea and three months in advance, I would wake up in the middle of the night panicking. Like full blown panic. I can't do this. I can't do this. Because I've, I've always been like freaked out of like being trapped in a plane. Yeah, but that's a long flight. <clears throat> so the first time I went to Korea, I made sure that I could bring a friend and he was also part of the camp. And if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't just gotten over that fear, I would have never met the A&R that worked at Big Hit. I would have never gotten the BTS cuts. It just, I feel like that was one of my biggest lessons in life. Like when you're scared of something, you just do it anyway, because great things can happen when you face your fear. That's the stuff that makes this podcast worthwhile because for me, it's like, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's super good. Um, I mean, I'm talking, I needed to take Xanax before I got on a plane. Yeah. Like I need to take Xanax months in advance waking up in the middle of the night. Like it was like a thing. And it really wasn't until I would say last year, my boyfriend lives in New York. Yeah. So I was flying back and forth every two weeks to visit you him. got used to it. And then now it's like, Whatever. You know, and so I like I really credit him for that, because if I hadn't had that experience of flying back and forth for a year, I think I would still be, you know, somewhat anxious. But now I don't even have to take a Xanax when I get on a plane. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. So overcoming fear. I mean, that's the best advice you can give anybody. And yeah, you're you're, so tell me like the first time you heard a BTS song on the radio or whatever like that. That that must have blown your mind. Right. Honestly, I it's funny because I had met the A&R in Korea. And then a couple years later, she DM'd me on Instagram and said, do you want to write for TXT? And TXT is the, is the other group on Big Hit or HYBE. Yep. And I was, I looked at that DM and I was like, I'm going to get a BTS cut. And I shit you not, three months later, I had a BTS cut. It was just kind of like it, surreal. Yeah. You know? It's and then be. it went to number one and I was like, oh my gosh. And then it went gold and I'm like, oh my God. Like, you know, the things when you're an aspiring songwriter that you're like, wow, I really want that. I yeah. really want to have that. I want a plaque on my wall. Well, you must be good at manifestation because that's like part of it, right? I mean, how long, I mean, you. this is never an easy journey. People like overnight success is like eight years. You know what I mean? It's like people don't understand, you know, it's, and with social media being so prevalent, it's really easy to be jealous and anxious like you see all these people doing successful things and it's 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 really hard on a person's brain because it's like everything looks so easy you know like oh wow you know why why am i not doing that you know so that's the thing that also i want to share with people that it's a tough long journey i i mean it it wasn't an overnight success you know i mean just to put it in context just for bts and txt alone i think i've written over 300 songs for them <clears throat> Excuse me. Yep. And I've gotten five placements. Well, there you go. That's that's that says it all. I mean, it's persistence and and just And you don't give up. You can't give up because you're going to this business is like 99% no's. And then you get that 1% yes and you're like, "Yes." And it's so easy for all those no's to beat you up. I mean, I mean, they still do. Of course. Like you have day, I still have days where I'm like, I haven't done anything. I haven't achieved anything. I'm useless, you know? And then, then those days go away and I do more. 
I write more. Yeah. That's incredible and so inspiring. Yeah. And that's why I knew you were going to be such an awesome guest. Thanks. <laughs> In an area where streaming platforms dominate music consumption, how do you navigate the challenges and opportunities presented by uh, the digital landscape? You know, I've this year I finally made the decision that I was going to start releasing my own music consistently. So mm-hmm. it's been like every month, sometimes twice a month, releasing my own stuff um, because I own the masters. Yep. And... I want to have another way of not only, I mean, I love being an artist, like number one, that's amazing. But also you can make money as an artist releasing your own stuff on on Spotify and iTunes, you know. Um, I think it's a little more difficult making money with the independent projects I work with, which is why I think it's always important to get paid something up front to be in a room with someone because, you know, I still pay Jan to mix my stuff. Right. He still gets that. And you still have to pay like producers for, for your studio. Your yeah. o- you have overhead. It's people don't understand that. It's like when it's music, a lot of times people think, Oh, it's just music, it's just fun. Let's And you just fun. get a royalty. But yeah. it's like, you know, even dance records I put out, I get like I get my statements and it's like three dollars and seventy five cents and I'm like, damn you yeah. know? Sure. So the goal obviously is to get your songs on radio. Yep. You know, and there are so many other ways of making music. Like I've done so many sync EPs for BMG. I just held a camp. Uh, I co-hosted a camp with BMG Production Music uh, with the House of Creativity, which is my company. And so, you know, we did three days. I think there are like 15 songs, 16 songs. And I have some publishing on those songs and some That's great. master points on those songs. So just building the catalog for sync, working with different sync houses like Baxter House and Position Music and um, I think I would love to just sit on my ass all day and do my own music I think that'd be great but I also know that like I do enjoy writing with other people and there are other ways of getting your music out into the world not just radio like if your song is synced to a TV show people are going to shazam it and go who is that artist you know so I don't know. I just think there's so many different ways of of making money and revenue. That's amazing. And all this diversification is what's led to your success. I mean, I've I've even seen your name on um, Splice, like for some of the sound packs. Have you done some vocal sound packs? I did too. I owe them. (laughs) I have one more that I owe. I I need to get it done. It's been like a year since I signed the contract. So Mm -hmm. I have one more with them. Um, But yeah, did Splice. And then I just recently did a K-pop class for studio.com that that shows, you know, different um, ways of writing a, g- a girl group song, a boy band song, and then a, a ballad. That's wonderful. So, yeah, it's just little little different interesting things like that that I've been able to do. That's so cool. Starting a song, like, where, oftentimes for you, where is the source of inspiration? Is it autobiographical? Uh, is that a word even? Is it Autobiographical. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, it does, uh, I have a list of titles in my phone. Or concepts. So normally, if I don't have something in my head right away, I'll just go through that list. Like yesterday, I was writing a song for a DJ. And he sent me a reference track, which I always appreciate. And I was like, what can I write about? What can I write about? And it started off as big time love. And then I recorded something and I was like, eh, eh. And then it went from big time love to big love. So I had that. And then I like... I listen to it a little bit, and then I'll go outside, think a little bit, and then I oftentimes, if I have a melody already laid down, I can just think of the lyrics outside, and I write them down, and then I come in and I lay them down. That's cool. Do you ever find that sometimes nonsense 
words just that have a shape or sound can lead to like a good lyrical idea? Do you ever yes. just do mumbly, like whatever comes to mind? And Sometimes then... I keep the mumbly. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> like there's been a lot of da da da's that I've kept, you know, and like I'll say something when I'm singing and I'm like, oh, I love that. I'm just going to keep it. I think I've become a lot less precious about, I don't overthink as much anymore. I kind of let the universe do what it does through me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I like that. I'm going to keep that. And if you like it, then like Rick Rubin says, that's the most important criteria. Yeah. That is so often overlooked. I saw recently he was talking about sort of three types of writers. Um, He was saying that there's the people that actually go through pain when they write. And they're like, and I'm sure that you've been in all three of these categories doing so many uh, different sessions and writing, but it's that song that you write that actually hurts you to write because it's going back to something in your life that just beat the crap out of you. And that that's the first category. So it's like actual pain. And then the second category is sort of like more like the Nashville way, like let's write a song like X or Y and then deconstruct it and then do that. So that's kind of based on a template, you know? And then there's the, the, the other category you mentioned was something about just, it's more about the clothes and the hair and and the fashion and the the actual song doesn't really matter that much to them. And it's just kind of like a team. It's just of, a vibe. Yeah. So out of those three categories, which category do you find yourself mostly in? I mean, you're working with different artists. You know, I mean, how many of your songs actually hurt you to write is what I guess was. Well, <clears throat> I think there's two different ways of uh, two different sessions that hurt. Yeah. One, when you're in a session with people and they want to constantly beat what you already have. You know, like, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. And that actually really hurts my brain. Yeah. <laughs> to the point where I'm like, I don't want to be here anymore, you yeah. know? Yeah, that's tough. And then there's the, the songs that I, I don't know if they necessarily hurt, but they make me feel, it's kind of the opposite. I feel like when I'm writing about things that have hurt in the past, writing about them makes me feel like I just took a Xanax. Okay. So and I'm like, oh. It's healing. I did it. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm a songwriter. That's why I started writing songs, because I wanted to get things out. And it was the most therapeutic way for me to get it out. And I still feel that way today. You know, I'm a lazy songwriter. If I sing something and I like it on the first take, I'm going to keep it. I'm not that kind of songwriter that, that wants to constantly, you know, beat myself. Yeah. Like, oh, I can beat it. I can beat it. And maybe that's bad. But it makes the process for me so much more enjoyable when I when I'm inspired. I lay it down and I'm like... Yeah. And, you know, I'll go back sometimes, even with the song I was doing yesterday, I'll go back and be like, big time love. That doesn't I don't like that melody. There's something more like simple that I can put there. Big love. Yeah. Two notes. Fantastic. Sure. Sure. You know, but I'm not I'm not hounding away at myself. Like I found that that happened a lot when I was writing at Atlantic. Yeah. I mean, they have great success, which makes me kind of doubt my process a little bit. But they're like, no, it's not good. You can beat it. You can beat it. You can beat it. But those those sessions ended up crushing my inspiration. Yeah, I could see that. I, Sometimes you just got to walk away. Sure. Or that, take a walk yeah. and come back, you know, or take a nap. Yeah. But you don't have to sit there and, and, and make it miserable. I feel like that kind of defeats the whole purpose of creation. I, I feel like as a producer, I've been in situations working on, say, a record for months and months and, and even recutting songs at different tempos. And I think the same thing is for production. A lot of times when the magic happens, it's 
pretty spontaneous and it, it can be one or two things that, that create the magic. But when you get into that mode of like, you know, nitpicking every little syllable, every little measure of every little sound, I mean, it takes on a whole different character and it, it's sometimes in the end, it doesn't really connect with people. It doesn't because yeah. then they're sick of it. It's like a painting, right? Yeah. You start off with like five beautiful colors. You start painting this thing. And then you feel like, eh, I don't know, it needs more. And then you add more paint. And then you're like, mm, I don't know, I think I need to cover this up. And then by the end of it, you have a black canvas. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, this was supposed to be a cheery, colorful painting. And now I'm at, you know, it's doom and gloom. That's how I feel about songs when you overthink things. That's such great advice. You know, one of the things I, I noticed working with you um, was your command of modern technology. Like we were working in Logic. Logic. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you were on the spot coming up with really cool like sonic imprints for different parts of the song that were very modern and very obviously you listen to a lot of current music and get a hold of like the vocal chops and the and the, the different cuts and like the different types of uh messing with the sound tell us a little bit about technology and your journey with uh logic and how you you, you discovered how to do all that well my fiance and i broke up okay. when we moved to la and, I, and he was the one that was recording me, Jan. Yep. And then I was like, shit, <laughs> what am I going to do now? So I had to learn how to record myself. And so it was out of really necessity because had Jan and I not broken up, I probably would have just had him continue to record me. So thank God for that. Well, Thanks, he, Jan. He was a big uh, influence on you then. Huge. Yeah. He's um, brilliant. Yeah. He is. And we're still really good friends and he mix, mixes and masters all my music still. And um, But I learned because I had to. And then... I still think I have such a long way to go as far as like being able to be technically the vocal producer I want to be. I have my go-to plugins, yep. you know, that I use, but... Do you mind telling us a couple? I mean, honestly, CLA yeah. Vocals. Yeah. I use that a lot. Yeah. Um, and then great. I have a template that my uh, friend Bert put together for me when he was living with me. So everything is our, like every time I open up a session, it's got, you know, four lead vocals. It's got like six... Um, doubles, got a couple ad-lib tracks, and then it's got like, I don't know, eight background vocal tracks. And you're ready to just... And that makes me, as a Capricorn, a slightly OCD that like already makes me feel like I've accomplished something putting a track in. <laughs> just opening up the session. Yeah, because it's already there. You know, I don't have to build the session every time I, I pop a track in. Yeah, it's obvious that you've really gained a lot of experience doing it because the way you were just grabbing things and, you know, moving. And I, I, I'm... I'm a Pro Tools guy, so when I whenever I work in Logic, I accidentally ruin everything very quickly. <laughs> so I can't I, use Pro Tools. So. I was impressed. Thank you. So yeah, so uh, what was you did CLA? What was it, any other plugins you want to mention? You know, honestly, I don't. I need to. I need to look because to I look. just you just do it. Yeah. Yeah, and what I noticed about uh, some of the the effects you came with uh, on the spot were they're like kind of trendy things that normally I would go, huh, eh. but with the way you did it was just so tasteful and it it just worked, and I was like, wow, you know, it it gives me kind of more respect for the modern pop thing because a lot of us old like record guys into Pink Floyd and you know like synthesizers, <laughs> like it's really easy to look down your nose at pop music sometimes and think, oh, it's just prefab this or that, but you know. I have a lot of respect for the craft, and there's so much that goes into it. Well, it's uh, like adding little bells and whistles, you know, and trying stuff out. Yep. And I also used to write a lot with my friend Julia Ross, um, and she is a, an amazing vocal producer. So working with her for like three years, I learned so much. Because that was not really my forte at the beginning, like 10 years ago. Yep. It's just not my thing, and like I've had to do it. 
you know, every BTS song that I've submitted for them for pitch, like you have to vocal produce the entire thing. So when you do that every day for 10 years, you get a lot better at it. Do you find yourself working on something and then you go down one road and then you're like, oh, suddenly you have a deja vu, like this didn't work at one point in your career and you're like, oh, I'm going to scratch this and try something else. No, but I do have times where I've, where I've laid down all the backgrounds for something and then I'm like, this sucks. And then I just delete it. Yeah. You know, like this does not work at all with the track or this part does not work at all. I'm going to delete it and start again. And I think it's important to know when that time is. Like I could lie to myself and be like, this is fine, but I know it's not. You know, that voice in your head that's like, yeah, Krista, no, yeah. you can do better. And when you have that gut instinct, that's the time when you say, okay. Yeah. I, I think I even saw you do that on something on our session. You would, yeah. you had something, you had a bunch of layers and then you're like, eh. no, yeah, it doesn't need it. You know? Yeah, less is more sometimes. That's a tough lesson, lesson for yeah. everybody. I mean, I, I used to have productions with, you know, 200 tracks and it's in, in the mix. I'm like, more of me, more of me, more of me. And now I'm at the point where I'm like shutting more and more things off at the mix rather than, you know, adding more things. So I think it, with maturity, you start to realize what's important here. What, what's the, what's the meat and potatoes? You know, we, you, you can't, you can overdose on gravy, you know? Well, and, that's true. And it know. also depends on the genre, right? Because if I'm writing for a girl group in K-pop, there are going to be exponentially a lot more layers and chants and doubles and ad libs because Why I'm trying to because there's so many people in the group they need their time oh. to shine and they have to be a part of the whole thing you know so you wanna you have to take every song in, in context what genre is this how many people are in this band group whatever is this you know for a solo act is this American pop is this K-pop is this you know hip hop like what is this sure this R&B do we need a lot of background vote like you know what does the song call for what about that? That brings up another uh, question: is song arrangements like f- for different genres? You know, like a lot of time. Okay, how long is the intro? How long is the reintro? Is there a bridge? Is there is there a instrumental section? Like, a, like is what what kind of formulas have you found are different from various genres in that regard? You know? I mean, K-pop usually always has a bridge. Yeah. Um, I think pop now, American pop, you don't really need a bridge. Hmm. Um. Dance music, EDM music, I don't do many bridges. I've done some. Yeah, you know. Also, if I've said everything I need to say, you know when you're done saying stuff. If I'm if I'm searching for something else to say just because the producer has a bridge in there, yeah. like, maybe it just needs some ooze. Yeah, or tell him to do an instrumental bit there. Or you chop it out. Or chop it out. You know. Well, great insight. Thanks. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> Can you give any advice to, like, somebody that's just getting into songwriting um what, what what are some of your recommendations for, for young people just starting out like to get better at their craft and, and 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 you know like what what advice do you have for young people just starting out i would say do it every day and do it with as many different people as you can find because you're going to learn something from every other songwriter and producer that you're in the room with and you're going to be able to get tools from them that you can put in your own toolbox and then reuse in your own sessions like the more people you have experience writing with even if it's bad, is great. Because then you go, oh, that didn't work. That that doesn't work for me. Or this works for me. Or that person's amazing. Or I would have never thought of this. I can't believe they looked at the song that way. This concept I had in my head and they totally rearranged it and made it into this. So that's really, that's really you know, eye-opening, really. I think a lot of times it's so easy when you do something every day to fall into, uh, I don't want to use the word rut, but 
put a rut. I, yeah, uh, we get really comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I find myself with arranging songs in whatever, whether it's rock or, you know, indie rock or, you know, whatever genre it is. As I get older, I start to find myself looking for a curveball. It's like, I've how many times can I do, you know, intro verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse? You know what I mean? It's like, I'm like, mm, how about a nine bar section where the last bar like drops and like, you know, an elephant jumps out of the cake. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're it's, taking chances. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I'm arranging vocals, sometimes I'll, you know, copy and paste a section yep. and I'll accidentally put it in the wrong place. But I call those happy accidents sometimes because I'm like, oh, my God, that's so much cooler than that. Like where I positioned the beat on the first time. Yeah. And it's and you go, oh, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. And that's those surprises, I think, are often important to keep the listener engaged. And I think a lot of my favorite tracks, you know, growing up, you know. Or even even with modern stuff, they, there's these weird calamities that happen that, that are magical. Yep. You know, I love those moments. Yeah, me too. You, you know? know, and it's, I'm always searching for that. You know, I, Frank Zappa said uh, a quote that I saw on Instagram recently. He said, sometimes you just can't find a cord ugly enough. So you need a giraffe filled with whipped cream. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love that sort of what's the word? Fearless, like experimental. Like, Dare to suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, you, know, you know, you can always take it out. You know, a lot of times well, when we have, say, a, a breakdown, like a lot, it's often, a, a, you know, common practice to make the last verse, maybe a half verse break, broken down. Whatever happens building up to that next chorus is often a place where you can really give yourself a little extra space or more rope to hang yourself with, you know, and, and try some stuff and yeah. see if you can't make it super exciting. If it doesn't work, you can always remove those bars. So a lot of times with in the writing process, I try to leave like some extra extra room in some some key spots for experimentation. That's just me, you know. Well, creativity is playing, right? Yeah. So it should be fun. There's been so many times where I've said the dumbest shit out loud, yeah, and that has become the song. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, this is really dumb. But what if we said something like, and they're like, that's amazing. And I'm like, okay. Which over the years, it's taught me just say whatever you think. And don't be afraid. Not in your personal relationships. Don't yeah. say whatever you think there, but say whatever you think in a, in a safe room where you're writing. <laughs> That's really great. Um, I loved your studio, and I want to talk a little about um, your... You have this amazing aesthetic um, in everything you do as, as far as fashion, decorations. Like, walking into your studio, I felt like I was in like some kind of fun house, but it, was, it wasn't kitschy. It was really beautiful, and... and I don't know, the lighting, you had stars everywhere and, you, you know, just the whole vibe was just uh, really welcoming. Tell us a little bit about your aesthetic and how you came to the, those things. I think I'm a introverted extrovert. Okay. So home is really important to me. Like I want to feel comfortable if it's where I feel safe. And so when I found my house, it was, God, seven years ago and I started renting it. And... um it, the same day that I, I couldn't find a place to live and I finally put in my application for this apartment and I was sad about it and I'll never forget because I had just gotten sober. And I was driving home and I literally looked up at the sky and I was like, if there's a God, find me a house. And I turned to my right and I saw this empty house with a painter in the window and I stopped the car and I walked up to the front door and I was like knocking and he probably thought I was a lunatic. And I was like, is this house for rent? And he was like, yes. I was like, give me the number to whoever is renting it. And I started renting it three days later. Well, <clears throat> this is the long, the long version. So I was in that house for like, you know, five years and 
I never really had a place where I was living that I wanted to invest in making it my own until this house. So I started painting the walls the colors that I wanted. And I started, you know, buying the furniture that I wanted and just kind of making it, you know, my place. And then COVID hit and my landlord was like, well, you can buy the house or move. We're selling it. And I was like, shit. Yeah. So I bought it. My father helped me put the down payment down. And I bought it. And I was like, oh, I was manifesting this house being mine without even knowing Like I was preparing for this house to become mine. And so then when I got it, I was like, okay, now I own this house and I can create a glitter wall. Yeah. So I glittered the hallway by hand, blowing glitter on wet paint. It's like a museum. It's so cool. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to create this space where I could have people over to write songs and be creative and not feel like they were, you know, stuck in a corporate studio. Yeah. Like just a box with like, you know, some baffles. Yeah. You know, like a lot of these rehearsal spaces or like places where people write they're super expensive and they're like just a box you know? and i wanted it to be, to be inspiring and lighting is so important to me and like color and it's not i mean i'm not even done with it yet but, but i was excited to sit there and it just was like i was just happy to be there and drink more coffee Thanks. and just like you know i, I can't wait to go back it's that's re- the whole point that's right? what the house of creativity is it's it's an actual house yeah. <laughs> my company yeah. it's an actual house where people can come over and create it's also you know a company that does throws songwriting camps and you know we're building gradually yeah, that's wonderful and i hope people that are watching the podcast will make sure we have a link yeah uh, f- to, to get in touch with you and you know to, to, to work with you and yeah. stuff like that your piano for instance the paint job on your piano i have to ask about that craigslist how weird i found this piano it's black and white it kind of um looks like keith herring right <laughs> yeah and i found it on craigslist and i was like looking at it for months and then I offered him like less than he wanted and he said no. And then it was still there a couple months later. I'm like, come on, dude. And he was like, okay. <laughs> so I got this piano and I love it. I just want everything to be fun. You yeah. know, and I feel like life is so serious, especially as adults. And like the more fun we can make it by having toys around or colors or lights or whatever, just like it makes everything better. That's fantastic and you know it's funny as i get older i get more away from that like back in boston you i had that giant you know almost four thousand square feet studio it was like a museum you Uh know and we had christmas lights everywhere and candles and i found myself like getting a little bit away from that and becoming more like you know just serious yeah and and i i think i'm gonna take um your advice and start looking around for like some leds and some other things to make this place feel a little bit crazier than it does Dude, I still buy toys. I will not lie. Like, to this day, I'm still buying myself toys. And it, like, gives me the same feeling that it did when I was six. It's been so wonderful having you. (laughs) That's a a perfect jump-off point. And I'd like to get you back at some point. Well, there's, I'm sure there's things we didn't get into. And I'd love to have you back because it was just wonderful. And um, I would love to. I'm I'm around. And I'm really looking forward to collaborating with you on more music, too. Same. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Krista. This is Anthony J. Resta, Studio Secrets, A to Z, signing off. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 